Hi, and a warm welcome to Whiskey Sisters, the podcast. I am Jennifer Rose. And I am Inga Larissa. Together we are Whiskey Sisters. We would love you to join our weekly adventures. Come on, let us rock your whiskey world. There'll be lots of news, gossip, bottle releases, and we will be raising our glasses through the tastiest of drams. We'll be hosting expert guests, hitting the road, and visiting some of the distilleries near you. And let's not forget dropping in some cheeky whiskey facts. Join our whiskey journey. You're listening to Whiskey Sisters, the podcast. In this week's episode, we are featuring one of our new favourite distilleries. Oh yes, we are. Glasgow Distillery. And we will sample a few of their excellent whiskies. Before we go more into details, we are sticking our noses into a very special film development. I can't Ooh. say development. <laughs> <laughs> Stick your nose in it. This week, we have a really special extended edition of Stick Your Nose In It. We would like to welcome Leah Kingsley, who is the producer, creator and co-director of a documentary, Spirit of Women. Welcome, Leah. Oh my gosh. Hi, you all. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Inka and I have been incredibly impressed with all we have been hearing about your amazing venture. So we thought it would be really important and timely to spread the news to our listeners. So could you tell us a bit about yourself and the project? Yes, absolutely. Thank you all so much for having me on here to be able to share this with all of your listeners. It's such an important film and such an important topic, and I feel very um, moved by it. So thank you for having me. It's the, the film is called The Spirit of Women, and it is a feature film documentary that is about the trailblazing women who are paving the way for females in the male-dominated world of whiskey and bourbon. And we are also shedding light on the vital roles that women have played in the creation of alcohol since the beginning of time. And somehow this information has been really buried throughout the ages. That is just not, as a filmmaker, um, that is not okay with me. Women have been part of the alcohol industry for medicinal purposes, as well as being able to have their own, um, you know, back in back in the day, um, they were entrusted with being able to create this art form and they had apothecaries and they were brewmasters and somehow that changed over time. It's not something that the public is really aware of. You know, everybody knows about men and whiskey, but most people don't know about women and whiskey. We actually did a whole episode on season one of the Whiskey Sisters podcast on women, like a history of women in spirits and in whiskey industry. So if any of our listeners are interested in the history and the topic, then go and find that episode. That's amazing. That's really amazing. And I love I love hearing that. That's kind of actually what led me down this path with this documentary. I'm originally from Kentucky. Amazing. Um, <laughs> we want to go there one day. We must meet there together at some point. Oh my gosh. Yes. I would love that. You guys will have to come while we're filming. Come on set and you can be around the distilleries and all the whiskey and the bourbons. Oh, listen, you might regret inviting us for that, Leah. Yeah. We, are, we are down for that. 
<laughs> I would love to have you. It's a very, uh, it's a very special state, and there's so much history there. You know, they say that 95% of the world's bourbon is made there, and you know, those are my Kentucky roots. I grew up there, but I live in Los Angeles. I've been in Los Angeles for over 10 years in the film and TV world. I'm an actress. I'm a writer, a producer, and now going to be a director. But, you know, growing up in Kentucky, I was surrounded by whiskey and bourbon. Yeah. And it wasn't until a couple of years ago that I started to learn how involved women were in this art form and how that had kind of been lost over time. And I was looking around and seeing these incredible women doing incredible things for the very first time. A lot of the women who are in our documentary are the very first of um, their key position in this field. So for example, we have the very first master bourbon taster in history. Mm -hmm. We have the very first African American master blender in history. Amazing. And, and these titles are not that old. Like these women, you know, they were able to be recognized in this way with these titles just in the past couple of years, which to me is wild because it's 2022. Yeah. So you would think that these titles were given to them and that they earned them years and years ago. And it's just, it's not the case. So it kind of shows you where we're at as a society and how, you know, sexism and things like that still very much exist in this male dominated industry. And it's really, really important, I think, for like on a global side for everybody to be able to recognize these women, to recognize women like you all that are supporting this movement, that are part of this community, that are trying to change, like really change the perception of women in the world of whiskey and bourbon. Because we often think that whiskey and bourbon is a spirit that is reserved for men. And it's simply not the case. Between 36 and 40% of consumers of whiskey and bourbon are women. And as you say, Leah, no documentary or film being made around this topic, which seems crazy. We spoke about that, I think, at the time, Inka, that we spoke about the history of women, these amazing characters, but a lot of people don't know about them. Exactly. And it kind of feels, it's amazing that no one's done it or that you are actually struggling to get it funded or not have the support that you need. I'm amazed that people don't step forward. Can you tell us a bit about what stage things are at, you know, just to give our listeners an idea of, you know, where you're at in the planning and how they can be part of history, hopefully? Yes, absolutely. And um, and you said it <laughs> with that sentence, the uh, community that we're bringing in and the support that we're looking for from the public is going to be making history with us. So it's an interesting parallel that a lot of these women have broken the glass ceiling by what they've done in the whiskey and bourbon industry. Mm -hmm. And we are actually breaking the glass ceiling by making this film, because like you said, no one has ever done this before which is really shocking, but also really exciting for us to mm -hmm. be able to give this platform to these women and women of the world. So my experience as a filmmaker in Hollywood is part of the reason that um, we have struggled to get it funded is 
in Hollywood, everyone wants to make a TV show or a film about men and whiskey. I mean, there's no shortage of A-list actors that are mm. the face of bourbon and whiskey brands. You know, it's a proven formula that men and whiskey equal money. That's what Hollywood runs on is currency. So when you talk to these studios and streaming platforms about doing a documentary on women and whiskey, they don't know what to do with that because it's never been done before. There's no formula that they can look at and say, oh, okay, there's an audience for this, this okay. will work. And so that's where we have run into trouble. But instead of waiting for Hollywood to give women permission to make this film, we decided to do it ourselves. Um, we believe there's an audience for it. We believe that there are people that wanna see this. We believe that there is a community out there that wants to see these women have a platform and to be able to tell this story. So what we've done is partnered with 501Cs, and those are nonprofit organizations. Mm -hmm. So they're essentially a charity organization. And we partnered with one called the Film Collaborative. And this is how a lot of documentaries um, end up getting made, because it allows us to receive donations for this project. And then it is a tax write-off for the donor. So even if you are donating outside of the United States, if you are donating in dollars, it becomes a tax write-off. And so we have two different ways that you can do that. You can go to our Instagram, which is the Spirit of Women Film, mm -hmm. or you can go to our website, which is www.thespiritofwomenfilm.com of womenfilm.com. And there are links there to donate. And we are also offering a lot of really fun incentives, depending on, you know, what you would like to donate. Um, we even have one where you can have your name in the title of our credits. So you'll be, <laughs> you'll be making history with us and your name <laughs> will live there forever and ever. Um, but we are in the late stages of development. So we're getting ready to go into pre-production. We have received a fair amount of donations, which is going to allow us to be able to start the process. Brilliant. But there are yeah, it's very, very exciting, but we do need um, the funds to actually be able to start shooting. Yeah, We're wanting to invite a global community to come in for this and say, yes, this film needs to be made. We're going to support it. And here's how we can help. <laughs> As you say, it's highly exciting. And we'll include the links to your Instagram and your website in our show notes if any of our listeners are keen to read a little bit more and to um, perhaps get some, you know, some of those dollars dusted off <laughs> and contribute. Didn't you actually also win something um, or get some sort of mention in Cannes Film Festival? Oh, we did. Right. So, yes. Thank you, Inka. Um, so my co-director, I'm, I'm co-directing this alongside another female director. Her name is Sarah Moshman, and she is actually an Emmy award-winning female documentary director. Her previous work can be seen on Hulu. She had a global deal with Netflix, also on Amazon. Wow. And then in, yes, our film, without even having shot anything, it was shortlisted this year for the top 20 projects in development with the Cannes Film Festival through a female directing program that we applied for. Oh, Leah, we would love to keep in close touch with you to update our listeners and to hear more as things grow and evolve. 
Oh, thank you so much. I would absolutely love that. I appreciate both of you and I appreciate all your listeners that, you know, believe in women being in the world of whiskey and bourbon. You all are amazing and I'm so grateful to be here. So thank you so much for having me. Whiskey Sisters! So recently, when I was in Glasgow, we ended up paying an extempore visit to Glasgow Distillery. And it is pretty funny how it all happened, actually. We had been talking about featuring the distillery on the podcast because we obviously both spend a lot of time in Glasgow and we enjoy the whiskies, but we hadn't made any plans as of yet. And then one night when we were in a pub in Glasgow, uh, at the Dram in West End, we bumped into a friend of Jen's. Yes, we bumped into the very lovely cat who I hadn't seen for a while. And talk about synchronicity, Inca. She happened to be there with her friend Elaine, who is connected to the Glasgow Distillery. So the magic began to happen, didn't it? And yeah, so inspired by the whole surprising coincidence that we, we ended up going to Bonacourt that same night for some drams. And we tried the rupee pot cask finish from Glasgow Distillery and the peated Southerners cask, which we both loved oh, so much we were totally not like shocked and stunned because we knew they would be good but they were amazingly good weren't they yeah oh my god the the peated satanus was so good and i'm totally gutted that i can't buy it anymore <laughs> to yeah totally and you know that way you sometimes order and you think oh i wish i'd order something else we ordered so well because the ruby port cask finish was so up my flavor profile street i was like Ah, uh, doing a little robot dance, whipping out the comedy <laughs> dance moves. So yeah, the next day, um, Elaine emailed us and we organised a visit to the distillery, which isn't open to the public, before you were heading back to Italy. So I feel we were super lucky, Inca, weren't we? Yeah, it worked out really well. So let's talk more about the visit before we actually go into our whiskies of the day. We've just been to Glen Turret <laughs> before, like a few days before we went to Glasgow Distillery. So it was definitely quite a big contrast between the two and the Glasgow is obviously not well like you said it's not open for visitors yet but they kind of have a few things like they've done the little sign outside and they are yeah. planning to opening a little visitor center but they don't actually do tours and you kind of understand why when you go there yeah as you say Inca it's in quite an urban setting isn't it sort of in a kind of an industrial estate in a, in a suburb of Glasgow and near the River Clyde so in contrast to the Glen Turret that's like in like sweeping almost like big woodland of Perthshire and all this sort of beautiful countryside this was a really gritty urban setting so it was really it was amazing actually to have that contrasting vibe and that kind of gritty Glasgow setting so I was really excited to see the difference. So they're embracing the pioneering spirit of Scotland's first licensed distillers. So the Glasgow Distillery Company adopts its name from one of Glasgow's original distilleries. In 1770, the Glasgow Distillery Company was founded at Dundas Hill and remained active until consequent closure at the beginning of the 20th century. I didn't actually know this until we visited that day. What about you, Inca? Like, well, I knew that there was something like a link to you know distillery way back mm -hmm. um kind of like most areas in scotland there used to be a distillery somewhere <laughs> sometime you know <laughs> you can yes. al always find some connections 
Yeah, for sure. But it's great that they um, they started in Glasgow again because, you know, it's Glasgow and it's a distillery, right? So Exactly. Um, so it was in 2014 that Glasgow Distillery Company reopened, becoming the first single malt whiskey distillery in Glasgow for over 100 years. And obviously since then, there's now also Clydeside Distillery, which is also in Glasgow in a nice location. Actually, it's all, again quite very different to the Glasgow Distillery, I think. Yeah. And in fact, we will be hosting an Instagram Live on the 16th of November, so next Wednesday, with Carrie Ann, who does the tours at the distillery. And you can might also know her from Instagram, the Malt Maiden. And we will sample some Clydeside Distillery whiskey and chat about the distillery then. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing Carrie Ann again and catching up with her. So I really like how they named their stills at the Glasgow Distillery. The distilling magic happens within their unique copper pot stills christened Annie, Mary and Tara after family members of the three founders and Margaret and Frances named after two of Glasgow's most influential female artists and sisters, Margaret and Frances MacDonald. Yeah, I like that. I like the, how they keep the Glasgow connection going. Totally. Um, I actually got some of the art from the sisters at home huh? in my office. I don't know much about them. So I first visited the Glasgow distillery when they first started producing gin, which is quite a while ago, and there was no sign of whiskey at the time. The gin actually has won several awards with the, it's called Makar Gin. So definitely worth trying if you are also into gin. But it is safe to say that now we love the distillery for their special cask finishes. I've been fan of the triple distilled from their core range for a long time since they sent me a bottle a few years ago and oh it was so good like I finished it very quickly I have to say <laughs> <laughs> but yeah these unique cask finishes are epic and I think this is now I feel like Glasgow Distillery they're going to be known for their cask finishes because they're very mm -hmm. limited editions you know you, you're lucky to catch a bottle but luckily they're producing quite a few of them you know yeah. at the time and quite often yeah there's loads to to explore during our recent visit we tried the tequila and the cognac cask as well. Yeah. Sebastian that showed us round was great and super generous with the samples, wasn't he? And I, I think you're right, Inca, there's so much momentum and quite a lot of excitement and buzz and rightly so around the whiskies and these releases. And I'm super excited um, by the different cask finishes. But like you mentioned earlier, like so sad, I don't think I can get the ruby port cask finish either. So, I yeah. know, so we just have to hope they do something similar at some point, you know, just... Send That's new it. messages. Pete, it works really well with the Saturnus again. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Sending subliminal messages, but yeah. being left wanting more, I guess, is a good thing. Yeah, and definitely, I recommend the tequila casks for people who love tequila. If you don't like tequila, I'm not sure if it's going to work for you, but it was amazing. Dram on fire. So we have three drams today, the 1770 original, peated and cognac finish. Let's start with the original. A minimum of 72 hours of fermentation combined with an extremely slow distillation results in a fruity and sweet new make spirit, which is then matured in first fill ex-bourbon casks before a finishing period in virgin American oak barrels and it's bottled at 46% ABV. 
So I should probably do a disclaimer that I am recovering from a cold, which you probably already heard <laughs> <laughs> from my sexy, sexy voice today. Um, my tasting notes might not be the best or they might be a slightly different because obviously I'm still a little bit blocked. They'll probably still be more accurate than mine as far as tasting notes go in, so don't worry about it. <laughs> what do you think? Let's. So the colour, I think, was quite like a honey, you know, your classic kind of slightly yellow. Yeah, I think I'm feeling a wee bit, you know, poetic as I sometimes get. So the colour for me is Portuguese sandy beach anchor. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm getting the, that beach vibe. Yeah, that's yeah. a good one. I quite like that. <laughs> yeah, because we kind of get bored saying honey all the time or golden. Yeah, when we release our own tasting book, let's be quite creative with our colour prompts. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We, this is something we're working on. Yeah, we're working on it because you can stick your nose in it, talk about your jam on fire in our very own tasting notebooks. Watch this space, listeners. <laughs> yeah. On the aromas, I think it took a while. Like, you definitely have to leave the original in the class for a little while to get a bit more but it was giving me bubble gum and tropical fruits like ripe papaya and mango oh wow yeah i don't know <laughs> did you get anything like that no i'll but i like that though that's you know that's getting my engines raving at the thought of those nice fruity aromas for me i got a kind of hazelnutty chocolate like ferrero rocher sweets i also got a kind of lovely outdoor smell like damp grass but the lovely sweetness you'd maybe expect with you know being finished in the American oak barrels like the kind of vanilla ice cream and some fruity fresh soft pear that's what I got on the nose yeah sounds nice I think that kind of dampness that kind of autumn vibe is also I found like it was the, almost a team between on all these three samples today but again I'm not sure if it's just me but that's it'll be interesting I would like to hear our listeners thoughts that have tried it you know it's good to hear other people's experiences tasting isn't it yeah definitely so on the palate I felt like it was a little bit dryish like it was not like super dry but it was drier than some of the whiskeys that I've tried recently mm -hmm. and kind of like a biscuity dryness you know Mm -hmm. like yep, that kind no. of oatiness or some sort of I don't know shortbread or some kind of biscuit and then after a while I was getting milk chocolate and the finish was there's definitely a spice going on as well which was kind of black peppery spice for me oh interesting Inca for me I got gently warming on the palate a white pepper spice so we're mixing up our peppers <laughs> on the palate some marzipan I got dark chocolate not milk chocolate but again the chocolate was there and again the pear for me still but you know like if you kind of like poach a pear in wine and it slightly caramelizes mm. it kind of turned into that on the palate I totally hear you on the slightly kind of drying biscuity on the finish I I've got quite long and shortbready. You know how shortbready can leave your mouth kind of dry? Yeah. Well, it's all fairly similar, which is good. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh, completely like nose blind. <laughs> yeah, we were sipping the same whiskey there for sure. <laughs> the next one, which is the peated. So <clears throat> peated is made with the finest Scottish barley and it's smoked to 50 ppm. 
using aromatic heather-rich peat sourced from the Scottish Highlands. And the Clasco 1770 peated is matured in American virgin oak casks and finished in Petro Ximenez, sherry casks and bottled also at 46% ABV. Describe to me how you're finding this colour. This colour is beautiful, I yeah, think. Yeah, it's quite deep. I would say like burnt caramel, burnt sugary, ambery, burnt amber. Definitely. Thing, but... <laughs> it is now. I've got deep caramel. I don't know what deep caramel is, but that's it. Yeah, it's definitely much darker to the, the original so it must be from the PX. Okay, this one, I was, I feel like I lost a little bit of my, like, I wasn't getting many sweet scents. I was getting Amaro, you know, like those bitter herbal Italian Amaro, you okay. know, almost in black in color. Um, I don't know what that is, Inca. So it's basically, it's a liqueur, but oh, okay. they're normally quite strong. So they can be like 30% ABV, even stronger. And it's almost, they vary from kind of dark amber to almost black in color. Ah, okay. And made with all these different herbs and botanicals. Mm-hmm, so I was getting mm-hmm. kind of that kind of very herbal amaro on the nose. Okay. And there's some sort of bitterness to it, but like in a nice way. They also are really sweet. There's loads of sugar in them, but they also okay. are very bitter. It's hard to explain. But I was, cool. that's what I was getting. The news taking me to like cough syrup. <laughs> mm-hmm. But there was mm-hmm. um, quite a lot of smoke on the nose, that kind of peatiness. And yep. almost like a gentle tar. Oh, good call. So I was really enjoying it in the nose, but I was struggling for descriptives. I kept, I, like I wrote autumnal and I kept trying to like capture what I meant by that. But you know, if you go out and it's like, it's like dark and a little bit cold and maybe there's been bonfire nearby or fireworks going off and there's that sort of like yeah. kind of charged smokiness in the air, but not like overpoweringly so I was like yeah it's like a kind of bonfire night smell and it wasn't like meaty barbecue or anything but some kind of savoury scents around it that I couldn't quite describe but also I was getting a toffee apple sweetness you know like the colour of that deep caramel and the, the caramel coating on a candy apple was what I got on the nose. Yeah I like that I don't think it's too far off what I was kind of feeling Mm-hmm. And yeah, definitely that kind of bonfire and uh, it's a 5th of November bonfire. <laughs> yeah. Like on the palate, I was still feeling that licorice and it was quite rich, I thought, quite mm-hmm. in, a little bit intense in a good way, like intense smoky peaty yeah. with maybe again like some black pepper, but also kind of heather or something to balance it out. When I say rich and intense, I don't mean the peat. I think it's just the flavor profile in general. Uh-huh. I think the peat was definitely much more like heathery. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the finish, I was getting fireplace, kind of like it's dying down, that ashiness. So yeah. I think that goes with your your aromas maybe a little bit. Definitely, Inca. And I like what you're saying about the kind of, you know, the kind of richness of flavours. I was getting kind of on the palate a charred something but not like medicinal PT charredness, but also a kind of marmalade on buttered toast and maybe like kind of almost that croissant type buttery pastry. Not exactly, but something quite like kind of rich and dense, but not like heavy, like a big fruitcake density. So I don't know if I'm being very accurate with my descriptives, but that was the sense I was getting and kind of quite a nice lingering finish, a sweetness to it, but definitely ashy, I would agree when I tried it at the distillery I felt like it was sweeter so I don't know if it's just because I'm a little bit blocked still I'm not getting as much sweetness through 
Okay. But I had a feeling like it was sweeter. But then when we went to distillery, I had that kind of similar experience that when you tried the Parliament. Oh, yeah. Because I was coming from the spa as well. So I was <laughs> a little bit zen. It's like, oh, mm, this yeah. is amazing. And everything was just so much, ele- like my tasting buds yeah. were more elevated, maybe. I think a research paper needs to be undertaken on drams post-massage. <laughs> I think we need to maybe organise some form of retreat that we're massaged regularly and sip whiskey afterwards. Well, you know, there's that gin spa in Glasgow, so we need a whiskey spa. A whiskey spa. Oh my goodness, it's all coming together. It's all weaving together perfectly. (laughs) But that that is very interesting. On my palate, although I do like peated whiskies, but not as much as you, certainly not a peat freak, that's one that I would merrily sip on. It's not sickly or overpoweringly sweet, but there's enough sweetness for me that it feels like really nicely balanced. Don't you think sipping those, you would think, you know, you've mentioned Glendronach there, you know, I'm a massive fan and that's a much, well, that's a really old distillery. But don't you feel the kind of complexity and depth of these flavours? You would almost imagine that it's like a distillery that had been in production for ages. Yeah, yeah, I think so. But then also there's that kind of, that kind of fun touch, like the Glasgow little twinkle in the eye. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like Winky experim- face. Yeah, like experimenting with all these different things. I quite like it. They're not afraid of t- taking risks. and As we've said before, like being older and more established or being older in the sense of the spirit itself doesn't necessarily mean better, of course. The third whiskey in the core range would be the triple distilled. Like the name states, it has been distilled three times when others have been distilled twice. The additional distillation removes heavier compounds from the spirit, only the lightest and purest spirit is collected and it's matured in a combination of ex-bourbon casks and virgin American oak casks which are married together before bottling. It is juicy, sweet and spicy. They have those three bottles on the core range and I think that they're all under £50 a bottle so they're really good value. Oh and if anybody's visiting Scotland or in the Glasgow area they have this super amazing pop-up shop just now in Glasgow city centre. Loads of bottles are available so if anybody's nearby check it out. But anyway let's talk about the cognac cask finish now. This is one of those limited edition releases, one of the new ones. And this one is also peated and marriage of two casks. Virgin American white oak barrels that were initially filled in March 2018 before being moved into ex-cognac barracks in November 2020. And it's bottled at whopping 56% ABV. That was done in June 2020. And there's only 882 bottles available. Ooh. Rare and delicious. Okay, Anka, give us your thoughts on the colour of this one. Oh, so I think it was um, quite similar to the first one, maybe a little bit more kind of golden-y, maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree, golden. Okay, I have to say, I was... I don't know if it was because I was sniffing those other whiskies. I was a little bit lost for the aromas on this one. Oh, where, Yanka? Yeah, just because I think I'm just... The whiskey fumes were getting me. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But when I was at the distillery, I remember really enjoying it. I've got some like tasting notes, but maybe you want to start with the aromas. (laughs) 
So I was getting like all excitable on the aromas. I thought there was a kind of gentle barbecue aroma of fruit kebabs. But if you like make like all different fruit and barbecue it and it gets kind of like juicy and a wee bit caramelized. I got a kind of red berry on the nose, strawberry jam, caramelized orange peel. Oh, and I've got summer nights when you go a walk and the ground is kind of dry baked and there's like long grass. I could smell that. Yeah. Oh, I like that. That's like one of my favorite smells. It's a good one, isn't it? Oh, and like you've got like something floaty on, you're a tiny bit tanned and you're just wandering and there's those lovely summer night aromas. I was getting that. I was transported on the nose. (laughs) Love it. (laughs) Did you get any tea? I was getting tea. Tea leaves. Oh, like a kind of herbally green tea or a breakfast tea? Kind of more some sort of... Chinese tea. Oh, nice. Yeah, like, like what is it called? Like jasmine or something like that. I don't know. Do you know, like a floral tea? I think you're onto something there, Anka. My no- I've stuck my nose in the glass again. Hang on. Something to do with cherries. I like um, fresh cherries or cherry. Like you walk in the, in the market through like pasta stall that is mm-hmm. selling fresh cherries that are really ripe. I can get on board with that. I wasn't getting too much of the smoke on the nose. On the palate, I thought this was peated than the peated, funnily enough. Yes, but, I agree with that. Yeah, but then I, I wasn't getting it on the nose. For me, it was more subtle. It was st- it was very much there, but it was like a barbecued fruit, so still sweet and not overpowering in the nose. Mm. On the palate for me, though, it was like a charred woody fruitiness. I was finding it quite hard to describe. I thought, I don't think I've had an extensive enough, like, I don't feel I've tasted enough to accurately give my tasting notes. That's uh, that's maybe a dumb thing to say. But I kind of, the closest I could get was I was getting some sort of savouriness, like salted cashews, but without the saltiness, but that kind of savouriness of cashews, if they've been salted, and then caramelised fruit and kind of syrup fruity but not overly sweet <laughs> Sorry, <I was laughs> think I'm talking rubbish salt. <laughs> salted for cashews but not salted but <laughs> what is it woman oh, I love it. like someone's sucked the salt out of your cashews and then you eat <laughs> yeah, yeah I kind of knew where I was going with that but I do apologize love it the mouthfeel was completely different to the other two completely yeah I absolutely agree and I think you might be onto something with those salted cashew, cashews because do you remember one of the previous episodes in season one I was talking about how sometimes I just like shove loads of salted nuts into my mouth <laughs> and then I'm like chewing them and thinking oh no I've too, but too, I have much. too many yeah and then it just makes your palate and your mouth all kind of dry but salty that kind of grainy yeah. and I think I was getting that with this one as well as a yeah, mouth feel like the mouth coating yeah there's something <laughs> going on there isn't there <laughs> definitely <laughs> um, that's quite funny so yeah there's definitely a nice bit of peat I was getting winter spices and that kind of you know sometimes when you get those spices in a in a drying way you know like when you have a little bit of cinnamon on if you just eat cinnamon mm-hmm. spice on its mm-hmm. own it does kind of make your mouth a little bit dry yes or, I don't know nutmeg or gloves or something like that kind of winter yeah. spices and I also again I was getting licorice but mm-hmm. in the powder form um, in Finland we have this kind of like a sweet and yeah, it, I was getting that a lot. And also then some sort of like a fresh ginger tingle. Yes. 
No, I like those those tasting notes and it's helping me kind of like as I'm sipping away here. I think there's quite a lot going on and I'd be interested coming back to this with having allowed it in the air even longer. What did you get for your finish? Intense bitter cocoa powder, dark chocolate, like a strong dark chocolate coated coffee beans. Ah, okay. But also still that kind of lingering spice lasting for a while. I'm sipping on it as we're chatting and I'm definitely finding it much spicier on the finish than I had done in my original tasting. I've got a woodiness, as I say, less spicy than before, woody and hay barn on the finish. Mm-hmm. So that kind of dried long grass vibe for yeah, me again. Yeah, I can get that. I've left some of my samples so I can try it again once I've recovered yeah. and see if I can still connect with my tasting notes. But I spent quite a lot of time with these samples today just trying to <laughs> get something. So I think I got somewhere. You're a trooper, Inca, and I'm sure these Glasgow whiskies will help shift that cold. Do you know what? I actually really enjoyed them all, Inca. And I'm going to say my favourite is the original of today's. I think what an easy sipper. I could be drinking that every day of the week. Yeah, they're all really nice. What pipped it to the post for you today? Well, today I would say the peated. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't know. Maybe I like them all in their own terms, I guess. But yeah, maybe the peated. But also like overall, if I can't choose the southerness because it doesn't exist anymore, but far from like, you know, some whiskey bars, mm-hmm. including like Bon Accords, may hopefully still have a little bit. The tequila cask, I really <laughs> like that. So I'm going to, after this recording, I'm going to order a bottle. Get that order in, Anka. <laughs> yeah. Whiskey Sisters, Whiskey Fact. The Loch Lomond Group recently released a 45-year-old whiskey from the silent distillery Little Mill. And you, Inca, have a Little Mill-related fact for us today. I have actually tried that whiskey. And in September, when I visited the Loch Lomond distillery, they gave me a little sample to try. And it was amazing, as you can probably expect. So, did you know that Little Mill Distillery is the oldest licensed whiskey distillery in Scotland? Although obviously not in operation anymore. There are records stating that on the 2nd of November 1773, they were granted the first ever license by the government of King George III to retail ale, beer and other excisable liqueurs. Additionally, in 1772, accommodation was built next door to the distillery to house the excise officers who represented the king and to make sure any distillation was recorded and the relevant taxes calculated and paid. This suggests that something was already happening on site before 1772 and cements Little Mill's position as Scotland's first and oldest licensed whiskey distillery. Actually, when I visited in September, we drove past the space where the Little Mill used to be and you can still see the ruins of the house, which I think was the house for the excise officers. A little piece of history. Um, and there's also another little fun fact for you. In 1823, Jane MacGregor of Little Mill became the first female licensee in Scotland and they reckon in the whole world. Amazing Jane MacGregor. Yeah. All the whiskey ladies. Do you know what? What an amazing history. Exactly. And you know, like we did the episode of all these women, amazing women in the spirits or in the whiskey industry. So many women used to run distilleries and do all this distilling. So it's so funny how these days such a 
hoo-ha if you know if a woman is doing something like a distillation or blending or whatever yeah because it's always been there we've always been doing it back when it all began yeah exactly we just you know got sidetracked jobs got taken away from us but it's actually always been there and hopefully projects like Leah's um, that we spoke about earlier in the episode will, will help to, you know, encourage an interest and maybe remind people of these early historical amazing pioneers in the whiskey world. That's plenty. Next week, we will feature a few different independent bottlers from the whiskey cellar to the single cask, the whiskey baron and more. We have quite a selection, so join us by pouring yourself a dram and tune in next Wednesday. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at whiskeysisters.podcast, Twitter at whiskeysisters and Facebook at whiskeysisterspodcast. And if you didn't get to catch up with Saturday's Online Scotch Whiskey Awards, the ceremony took place then and why don't you have a look? Congratulations to all the winners. It was super exciting, Inca, getting to present one of the awards wasn't it yeah it was cool yeah so check that out may your glass be full and your dram on fire ciao